Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Beneath modern London, in plague-ridden tunnels, a tribe of once humans. Neither men nor women, they are less than animals. The raw meat of the human race, who stalks those deadly shadows. Whose cry echoes their horror. Whose blood will flow when they strike again. Hello and welcome to SmashPod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films and Bond-related films by those who enjoy, hate or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and this week we'll be visiting London for a trip on the tube, a drink on the house, and a bite to eat with a cannibal. Yes, it's Deathline, and joining me to mind the doors is comedian Steve Hall, who can be found on Twitter as a Steve Hall. Hello, Steve. Hello. How are thanks you? Thanks for having us on. I'm very well. Oh, thanks for I'm coming. I'm excited on. to uh, get get our teeth into this. Yes, thank you. Thanks for carrying on the pun. Yes, so Deathline, you suggested this. Yes, well, we sort of we should because we'd sort of met very briefly yes uh, and you'd mentioned about doing this and I'd basically said this or Wake in Fright yes and then I'd worry that Wake in Fright's I love Wake in Fright too much mm. so I would be far too earnest that is the problem with this if you love a film too much you can't really sit there and take the piss out of it exactly yeah. whereas Deathline we'd both I think we'd both had a similar thing with Deathline where we'd seen it as kids yeah and been genuinely shitted up by it really yeah in fact, to the point where I watched it again the other night, I was still a bit... Uh. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually the, the scary bits in this, which we'll get to later, are set around Holborn, Russell Square area, which is where we are right yeah. now! It is, there is that kind of weird... Even even though it, we are recording at 1pm, yeah. Yeah. there was still that. Oh, maybe they get peckish. Maybe he fancies an afternoon snack. He could be down there now, like, <laughs> thinking, oh, they sound nice. Well, I think that, that's one of the things... Because that, that, I, I probably watched it again about 15 years ago. Yeah. And I must have watched it when I was a bit pissed because I remembered laughing more. Right. And then re-watching it again, I was I was going, this is a really good film. It's mm. genuinely scary. It's, it's that thing that good horror films do mm-hmm. where the idea is scary. So there's hardly any jump scares in this. Yeah. It's just the idea sits with you. Yeah, very much so. Very, very, must have been very influential. I'd be very surprised if it isn't. On American Wealth in London. Yes. Yeah, well, I think John Landis says that the scene, the tube scene in American Werewolf is 
is inspired by apparently uh, acknowledges that yeah because it's because it, both of the films are made by americans yes and that's an interesting thing i think because they're people who visit the underground it would seem and go shit this is a bit weird and scary and <laughs> odd i know they've got the subway in new york but the other the london underground at night particularly this time of you know the year not the year in history <laughs> it just looked fucking odd and strange yeah yeah i mean I know they've dressed it that way but particularly at the beginning when they're in Russell Square and Robin Pember's in the lift, like, oh, I have to go upstairs to plug the yeah, phone yeah, in. It's yeah. just all weird and strange. Yeah, it's, that's a brilliant... Because a lot of the people in this film, you find yourself going, where do I know him from? Yes. So it took me ages to work out that he's the tax man in, in uh, Better Than Life in Red Dwarf. Yes. Uh, but yeah, there's like brilliant, loads of brilliant... It's so British. I can't, The fact that it was obviously released in America under a different name, even with the edits they made, some of the stuff in it is so British. Yes that it must have been wonderfully mystifying. Yeah. And particularly when American Wealth in London is like Landis saw this, did his one and made it more, turned up the Britishness more. Yeah, yeah. American Wealth in London is more British than I've never seen. I've never seen an American director come to, I know we're not, we're not talking about American Wealth in London, but come to another place and make it feel like he is part of that place. Yeah, absolutely. American Wealth in London doesn't patronise you. Yeah, There's yeah, so many yeah, American yeah. films when they're in, in England. And indeed, um, Deathline doesn't either. They go, oh, all the British people are going to say garbage. <laughs> and they're all going to, you know, make everything nice for Americans. Yeah. It's just- I think what the director, Gary Sherman, the director, I think he yes. gave the script to a British bloke, so Kerry Jones. And yeah. it says that Kerry Jones had written a novel. I cannot find the name of that novel anywhere. Uh-huh. But I think he they'd worked in commercials. That, mm. that was the background. Um, but I think, yeah, so he'd basically gone, here's the story. I'm going to give it to a Brit to mm. make the script to, to you know as, as British as possible, and uh, and so yeah, there's like John Pleasant like go, where's my football coupon? Yeah, and tea bags, yeah. <laughs> tea bags, <laughs> and this is produced by Paul Maslansky, who went on to do the Police Academy. Films. Yes, indeed, and this is it, it's one of it's a fascinating thing. This when you start going through IMDb on this film, yeah, so many people. Uh, go on to do amazing things uh, and then I was reading an interview with Gary Sherman that his main producer when he was do- when he was a, a, a rookie commercials director mm. um, his his partner was Jonathan Demi mm. uh, and so it was Jonathan Demi that hooks up and, and he ended up not he got work so he didn't produce it himself but it was Demi was like one of the main contacts to get in to get Maslansky involved and so on wow and these are like blokes in their early 20s yeah fucking ambitious fuckers absolutely it's a very ambitious film and it doesn't hold back at all <laughs> so that's quite interesting in that um also the the actor in it's alan ladd's son isn't he yes and and it's tricky because he cannot act no it's in a film i really enjoy he it is hilariously wooden to the point where i begin to actively want his character to die yeah he's the weakest part yeah and funnily enough the strongest part in this is someone who doesn't actually say any words yes well absolutely that's yeah Apart from minor doors, it's it, it, apparently. I don't know if we're going to go through this. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to get, get into a second. Because yeah. did you? I, I read who they near. Did you see who I've they nearly? Down here. Yeah. yeah, go on. So, so they nearly got Marlon Brando to play the character that is played by Hugh Armstrong. He's just yeah. the man. Mm. And I like the idea that they may, may be worried that Brando would mumble too much. Well, apparently he missed it because his son was born, or his son... His son, his son had pneumonia. Pneumonia, that's it, yeah. Um, which I thought they might have liked to record and use for some of the heavy breathing. <laughs> but um, isn't this the son that later on went to murder his daughter's yes, boyfriend? Yes, indeed. So, so he might as well not bothered. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He probably... Re- well, it's because he'd just finished doing 
uh, last tango in Paris, and he was available. And apparently, they were one. They were quite keen on the idea of not telling anyone that it was Brando, that, it, mm. that he would be under all the makeup, uh, uh, and uh, and yeah, just mumbling. But that it it would eventually come out that this was small part was Brando. But it's also like he's a an underground cannibal struggling to survive. So they're starving. So someone that fat, yeah, playing. Plus, you know, bumming everybody yeah. from Last Tango in Paris. Yeah. Wouldn't look good. Yeah, he'd bring the humans and just stealing knobs of butter wherever he could. <laughs> that ending would have been horrible when he caught... Anyway, we'll get there. Uh, but the, the opening music... I, I like the idea that Brando would have been going, I could have been a conductor. Oh, that's brilliant. That's why you're a comedian. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the opening music comes in. And I, 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 I messaged you the other day, I can't believe the balls it, of using this It's astonishing. Music. It is wonderfully sleazy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like someone had said, okay, we want to do, like, imagine that you're doing a porn film that is also a sitcom. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, and again, this is one of the names, not knowing much, you know, so looking up the names on IMDb, Will yeah. Malone, who did yeah. the music. And then you look at what he's gone on to do, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. He starts out doing this, and he, and he released a, a solo album. Wasn't he in a psychedelic band as well called the, Something Orange? Orange Bicycle. Orange Bicycle, called. yeah. But he then goes on, he, he produced, what a career this is. He, produ- he was one of the producers on Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap in wow. 1971. But then he becomes an, a, a, a strings arranger and yeah. does uh, Unfinished Sympathy and Bittersweet Symphony. Yeah. So he's absolutely amazing. And he's worked like his credit on his website he's worked with some genuinely amazing bands and gomez so it's, uh, <laughs> it's a bit, bit I, feel, I feel a bit, a bit harsh i could have gone with embrace i was trying to choose oh one yeah let's, let's kick embrace they were shit <laughs> shit they did one good song which one was that come back to what you know oh yeah that's come like, I, quite, to what you know. I quite like uh, one big family i don't know that one it's the one who goes we got family <laughs> Do you remember they did the World Cup theme one year? Yeah. And it was very fitting because it was the most bland, forgettable <laughs> theme ever. And, and I think we went home pretty quick. Yeah. And then in uh, Coldplay, Chris Martin wrote them a song as well. Oh, God. See, I, I often wonder if Coldplay get a bad press. And then you listen to their stuff and you're like, no. <laughs> they don't. They're, uh, they're Coldplay. Um, but we get this chap hanging around outside a strip club looking yes. for action. So it's, and this is, he's in a Bond film himself, James Cossins. That's right. Is in The Man with the Golden Gun. He is, indeed. Uh, and he's basically, he's one of those brilliant actors where his moustache does all the acting. RAF. Yeah. And I looked it up, he was in the RAF, so he has oh, a proper right? RAF moustache. Because he's in an episode of Faulty Towers as well. He is, he's the, uh, isn't he the inspector? Yeah, I think he's in that episode, sir. Yeah. yeah. And, um... Yeah, and he's, it's just, it's, it's a brilliant start where you see him, he's in the red light district yeah. and the sleazy music is playing bong, uh, and you bong, know bong. that here's a, here's a, a dodgy, he's doing that lovely little semi-pout that they do when you can tell that someone's a bit of a pervert and they do that. Like the Kenneth Connor pout. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but then this is, one of the things with this film is they obviously have to move, a lot of it is it's quite a simple story and they just have to move the characters into locations where the key bits of plot happen yeah and so what you have here is a dodgy old pervert who's in a red light district who then thinks to himself where's the best place to score some pussy yeah i'm gonna leave this place that is quite specifically a red light district yeah. and go to the northbound platform at russell square tube yeah well it's teeming with women <laughs> yeah it is yeah. maybe he likes the challenge maybe it's too easy yeah 
Why? Why does he go there? I just it's, yeah. There's no reason with a wad of cash as well. With and a wad of cash, I just goes up to a lady and whispers something to her, which we assume is like, "Will you sh- shag me?" Yeah. For- well, I like the fact that in a film that's one of the more genuinely violent and disturbing films I've ever seen, whatever he says is so extreme that they don't show it. That, that he, it's just whispered. I like to think that what he whispers to the woman he's trying to proposition mm. is the same thing that Bill Murray whispers to Scarlett Johansson <laughs> at the end of Lost in it's Translation, scat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Will you shit on me? <laughs> yeah. She then tells him to, it's a really she, it's a really good piss off yeah but she takes the money and kicks him in the balls yes so good for her because obviously it's never made it entirely clear if she is a prostitute hmm. uh, because it could be that he's just propositioned a, a woman and then in the credits she is listed as prostitute oh so I feel they've slightly damped her there I don't think she's a prostitute well that's the thing because later on <clears throat> you see her uh, chatting to the policeman when they go upstairs a few scenes later she's chatting to the policeman which makes it even weirder that they call her a prostitute. Unless she's like, yeah. okay, now, officer, I'm a prostitute, <laughs> and I've just I've just assaulted a man and stolen his money, hmm. but I quite fancy a chat. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But, but yeah, um, I mean... She does a brilliant... Because I, I, I've done... A, I've been kneading the balls twice for uh, for for TV purposes. I've been right. kneading the balls tw- many more times in real life. Right, okay. But good. it's a really good... It's a very well done... He does that... Yeah. I, I once I got kneed in the balls. Uh, I got punched in the balls by a kid uh, for my old sketch show, and uh, they had to. We were trying to work out how do you tell a kid to punch you in the nuts. Yeah. And so they were saying to this little girl, "Oh, can you just punch him just below his tummy?" Yeah. Uh, and then her mum said, "Oh, I just told him to punch him in the gonads." I was going to say, kids, no. Yeah. My son thinks it's incredibly funny that, and he calls them the peanuts. Nice. Yeah. That's quite. That's quite near to what the serial killer Albert Fish called his. He referred to them as his monkey and peewees. Hang on, are you suggesting my son is the reincarnation of the serial killer Albert, Albert Fish? He can be very proud. I am proud. Yeah, he'll have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. I won't. Um, so yeah, he he uh, he falls out with this woman. Ask her after asking her to shit on him, presumably. Yes. And uh, she knees him in the balls and runs off. And then. We hear someone approaching him. Yes, and it's it's, it's again it's in terms of th- things that have been copied a lot that it's it's point of view and it's heavy breathing. Yeah. So it's exactly what it happens in Halloween and mm-hmm. a lot of modern pornography. It's uh, it's um it's it's, it's quite an interesting because that whole p- platform scene because I found myself pausing to see what the adverts were. There's yeah. an advert. I mean, it really sets it in some. There's an advert for the magic of the minstrels. Yes, there is. There's also a, a look like the poster for Doctor No in the background. Yes, I was. Tr- I, was I, I can see Sean Connery with the Luger, and it could be Doctor No or Russia with Love. Maybe they were re-showing it. Yeah. But I like to think that you know that's another connection for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, he gets approached, heavy breathing, and then we don't see anything. Does he? Does he turn round? I can't remember. No, I think he sees because yeah, it's from the point of view of the man. So we just see yeah. him look a bit nervous, and, uh, yeah. and that's it. We have to think of another name for that other than the man because that makes it sound like he's like the big business corporation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hugh Armstrong. That's Let's the, call uh, him Hugh Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Yes. Yeah. Sad. Um, so then um, a couple get off the tube. This is how he mentioned before we got. Uh, what's, what's she called? Pat, and he's called Alex. Yes. Yeah. Alex is the one who can't act very well. Yeah, and Sharon Gurney. Yeah. With a turn like Gurney, she's actually a decent actress. She is. And she went on to marry the son of Michael Goff. Oh, Alfred. uh, Yes, indeed. Yeah. So it's all connected. It is. And invent the little bed that you lie on in an ambulance. (laughs) Nice. Sorry, that's terrible. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they find um, the weird pervy who goes down the tube station. 
so evidently so that's yeah, a jam the, song isn't it down the tube station at midnight <laughs> looking for sex that would be fantastic if, yeah. if they should rewrite it for this film I'd love it if Paul Weller went down the tube station at midnight and got attacked by a cannibal <laughs> that would be brilliant you have to eat his hair first um, he smelt of rats yeah and piss drench flats <laughs> It's right itself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they find this man collapsed on the, the stairs, and Alex wants nothing to do with him. He says, He's probably drunk. Yeah. In he's... Chicago, people are drunk <laughs> all the time. Like and that, that is better acting you've done there than Thanks. he does in the entire film. But of course, Pat's like, Oh, we should help him. Look in his wallet. Maybe he's a diabetic. Yes. Why? Again, did, did people have cards saying I am a diabetic? Some of the some of the things, that, some of the links they have to make are tenuous in this film. I mean, people had cards in the eighties saying I am a donor. You know, saying yeah, they like, yeah, yeah. saying that they like kebabs. <laughs> Sorry, uh, unless he had a thing saying I am I am a, a dodgy pervert OBE. Well, he does, doesn't he? Because he has a card saying he's allowed to go into all these drinking yeah. clubs, and it's, it's, it says it, into any of the one hundred clubs listed overly, and it's a small business card, so, small. so they must be written in microscopic font. Sorry, he just says Hooters. <laughs> Didn't have Hooters then, of course. Um, so they decide to go and get help, and they, this is when they bump into Ron Pember. Star of uh, High Street Blues, yeah. the 80s sitcom about High Street, where he looked like Lee Van Cleef. Very funny. Look it up. It wasn't. It was terrible. Um, and they go back up to the surface, and they're talking about getting to the, uh, a policeman, and just so happens our prostitute, Harsh, yes. is chatting to a policeman. Yeah. And uh, they what say... A, what a likeable whore. What a likeable whore. How also, that policeman, I don't know if you notice later, you know people often say, what do policemen have under their helmets? Yes. I don't know if you notice, but later on, when you see that policeman again without his helmet on, he has, like, really huge hair. He does. And and that policeman is played by Colin... I've written it down somewhere. Colin McCormack. Right. Who goes on to teach drama at Guildhall, and one of the people he teaches at Guildhall is Daniel Craig. Wow. Another connection. There's another connection. Wow. And he's got the same hair. <laughs> he has got like an afro and yeah, that yeah. helmet. Um, but they go back down and wouldn't you know it, the body has gone. It's vanished. Vanished. Like an old oak table. Because again, it wouldn't have made sense for, the, for, the, for Hugh Armstrong to carry him off when he first attacked him. No. He's got to leave him. Well, he probably heard them coming. Not like that. <laughs> uh, and thought, I'll hide. I'll mind the doors, yeah. as he says. Yeah. Do you think he says that every all the time in his head? That would drive I, me mad. But this is what it's an interesting. I I hadn't realised watching the film how late it is in the film that he starts saying. Same, yeah. I remember it being straight away. But because he doesn't even grum, there's not even that much moaning to begin with. No, much like every pursuit. Yeah. But presumably he's left him because uh, he's presumably he's been disturbed. I mean, he must be disturbed. He bites the head off a rat later. He's having so. a starter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he must have been disturbed. Um, well, he is very disturbed. Well, you've done that joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they then, yeah, they, he's, he's called James Manford. James Manford. Yeah, well, this is, this is, they seem to, their pronunciation of his name seems to change it in does, the film. So yeah. it's either Manford or Manfred. Yeah. But I, because I initially thought it was. I did as well. And I thought, well, this bloke's nowhere well, near because he was lying pervert. down not doing anything. <laughs> oh, or I could have gone another way with that, couldn't I? Going yeah. down looking for women. Exactly. Yeah, I should have done that, shouldn't I? Yeah. I'm probably I mean, that out. Going down looking for women is very much what uh, got him off the one show. You shouldn't talk about this. What if you ended up writing for him? I, I think he's... I, I would love to write for him. He's, he's genuinely great. <laughs> but, um, you know... We've gone down a cold yeah. again, <laughs> It could be... Because he's gone down looking for a woman. 
I said it, so it heats off of you. Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I did some gigs overseas with his younger brother. He's got a younger brother. He's got a younger brother. Very funny and a genuine pervert. One of the more entertaining uh, <laughs> leches I've ever met. Is this like a Mike and Bernie Winter situation? <laughs> it is. Because that, that famous heckle wasn't there, where one of them was on doing his act and went off, and the other one came on, and someone shouted, "Oh shit!" There's, there's another. Yeah, one. yeah. Oh shit! There's two of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a genuine pervert. Yeah, but I, th- I think this is in his younger days. He's a happily married man now. But um. so was no. Oh come on, we, we can't go to this. Um, so then they decide to go to the. Don't they get? Do they get arrested, or do they just go to the police station on their own accord? Um, oh no, we leave them there because then this is when we meet Donald Pleasance and Norman Rossington coming into work in the morning. Yes, and this is when we get the thing about tea bags. Yes, and this, like and this, well, this is where it all, where it starts to get brilliant. It's all been yeah. fine up mm-hmm. to up to this point, Serviceable. but the moment that Donald Pleasance is on the screen, it's just fucking brilliant. It's mm. so he is having an absolute ball. Yeah, to really good the chemistry with uh, Norman Rossington is just brilliant. The two of them. It's it could, it's almost like a prototype for the Sweeney. Yes, I love the way his little character trait of constantly punctuating everything he said by removing a hanky and. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. I like that. Uh, but he comes in, and uh, it reminds me a bit of Ben Kingsley in Sexy Beast. Yes, absolutely. Are someone yeah, yeah. completely playing against type? Yeah, yeah. And making them quite vulgar and, um, well, for want of a better word, working class. And and I, I've written down here, he's DCI Brexit, because he gets Alex to come in yeah. and starts talking, asking about the European Union. Yeah. it's a, it, it, Again, weirdly, sort of 45, 46 years later, yeah. that it's still... And Alex says he's worried about the uh, fishing yeah just like Farage yeah 10 I think it should be a 10 mile fishing limit and then he brings it back later says 8 yeah well it's a it's a really nice callback yeah but again this is what the dialogue I wish I knew more as far as I know this is the only script Kerry Jones wrote really but it's because there are so many really brilliant jokes sorry wait it's the the relationship with the with the officer the the female officer who's bringing him his tea bags yeah and he's furious to discover that it's tea bags and you see a yeah. bit of his going the tea bags I've been blaming the Indians yeah and and the woman who uh, plays that who plays Marshall that's Heather Stoney who goes on to marry Alan Akeborn wow so everyone who is in this film goes on to amazing things wow apart from Kerry apart from Kerry Jones yeah I also like the detail of him stirring his tea with a, a dart yes. That's an excellent. And again, I'd love to know where because in later interviews, the director has says that this was pretty much all as scripted. Hmm. But in earlier interviews, um, he was saying that there was room for for improv, hmm. and it's slightly. I think you know, as time passes, you can go, oh yeah, we wrote all of it. Hmm. But there's so many brilliant details. I imagine Pleasance improvised a lot of this. Yeah, well, there's a great he's some big shit. I mean, shot at the Ministry of Defence or the Home Office. That's it. And after he's finished things, he brings in Alex Campbell to ask him about, you know, this missing Manford. And then as he he insults him about the EU, basically calls him a dick, and as he leaves, he says, oh, get your hair cut. Yeah, and the way he delivers that, it's one of my... Get your hair cut. It's it's really, really relishing it. And And, and it's it's a weird thing, because the fact that at this point... Because when Rossington comes in before Alex arrives, yeah, um, they just sort of say, "Oh, there's someone missing at, uh, at there's an incident at Russell Square," and it's the most minor incident. So yeah. you just think it must be a very slow day. It must be, yeah, in the Hoban area if that's getting reported. Well, it was a different world then. <laughs> it was a different world. Uh, then we're introduced to David Swift, and he starts telling the story. Basically, gives us a load of exposition to Clive. Clive Swift. Clive, I've written David. Fucking hell. 
So yeah, so I, I, in all my notes, I'd written him as Hyacinth Bouquet's husband. Well, he is. I tried to be posh, but I got it wrong. <laughs> Classic. David's one that's dropped their donkey, isn't he? Wasn't oh, he? as in as in Henry. Henry. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I ever knew that actor's name. Yeah, they're, they're brothers. Oh, no shit. Right? Yeah, dead now, both of them, aren't they? Oh dear. It's ruined that, isn't it? <laughs> well, should we go and piss on their grave? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Clive let's get, Swift. Let's get to piss on their grave he'd wank on their grave come on <laughs> he'd fuck their grave no he'd text their grave <laughs> I don't know why you've got it in for <laughs> what is wrong with you <laughs> might be <laughs> maybe no yeah. um, would, oh, you don't want to know what he'd do to their grave <laughs> before he was married before he was married now he just changed man <laughs> sorry if you're listening and I don't know who you are sorry and I don't mean that in a horrible way. I'm sure you're... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so, Clive Swift comes in and gives them some lovely exposition, just uh, apropos of nothing, about yeah. a tunnel that collapsed in 1891? Or 1892? 1892. Uh, I've made terrible notes here. About it, how men and women were abandoned in there when it collapsed. Yeah, and it's, I really like how they've covered every angle. So he, yeah. he mentions that there's women as well. It goes, yeah. eight, eight men and four women. Yeah. Uh, which is what uh, would call the weekend. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, um, but yeah, and one I, cup. <laughs> but it's it's all very yeah, and like the city in Southland, they couldn't afford to dig the bodies. One of the themes of the film that makes it again that makes it great yeah. is there is this this kind. It, it's sort of representative of the class system. Yeah, with with the the poor, unfortunately, the literal underclass, mm-hmm. and then the the powers that be treating them like shit. Yeah. So it's it's quite subtly done. It's actually not that clum. It's when you describe it, it sounds quite clumsy. But, yeah. But you do feel, uh, even though yeah, it's it's ex- exposition one hundred and one. You do sort of feel that that pang of outrage. Yeah. That they were just there, left there. And it's the sort of thing that um, Southern Rail are creating on a daily basis <laughs> by leaving people stranded at train stations. Yeah. There are probably millions of cannibals roaming around Sussex. Yeah, this is, it is again, it's one of the ways this film is prescient. This, basically, is. this film basically just uh, pre-guesses the night tube. Yeah. So, Would you go on the night tube, like for charity, between Holborn and Russell Square? Or walk down the tunnels? Or just stand at the platform yeah. on your own for a little bit? <laughs> The thing is, I have, I'd actually probably watch uh, Deathline to make myself feel better. Yeah, you would. Wasn't this all done at Oldwich? The, yeah, I think so. I think quite a lot of Oldwich. The tube station everybody uses. Yeah, and the they animal. wouldn't allow them permission to do some of it. Um, so they literally pretended to be a different production. So they 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 had a, they invented a name for some of the bits they weren't allowed to do. Oh, really? And just didn't show them the script and then filmed the lines they wanted to film. Wow. Clever. It is clever. It's, um, it's interesting because they, they, they emphasise that the, the, the people who got buried in the cave-in could have survived in air pockets. Yeah. So I like how they're basically playing off of Teddy Kennedy's guilt. <laughs> they're chapaquidicking this. Um, so then uh, we see Manford, and this is an excellent so, shot. This is amazing. This is one yeah. of the, apparently the US version of this film in the original cut. They, they cut this bit. What? And, and edited it all the way through the film. So they dispersed it. It's like an eight-minute tracking shot. Yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. It really is. And, and again, so they no one was no one believed they could film this. Um, and what they did was they, uh, they rehearsed for a day. They didn't shoot a single inch of film. Mm. They rehearsed it for a day with everyone. And then the next day filmed it. And everyone was very nervous. The producer was very nervous about whether it was going to look all right. Yeah. And they they screened it that evening for the first time in Saltzman and Broccoli's screening rooms. Wow. And apparently one of the people who was watching it was Roger Moore. Uh, so And everyone was then delighted that it 
looked great. Hmm. Because it's because you see everything in you this do. scene. You see this is the bit where uh, this is one of the bits I think I remember from childhood. Same, yeah. It's particularly the thing, the body hanging up with all the face. Yeah, fucked yeah. Up and and it, again, the people who make because it's the the makeup on this is done by Peter Frampton. What? Not that Peter oh, Frampton. Okay. Otherwise, I'd I like to think that he would launch a blusher and call it Frampton Comes Alive. The, oh, that's very um, good. Yeah. But Peter Frampton, who goes on to win an Oscar for Braveheart for, for the makeup, right? And then the the cinematography is Alex Thompson, who goes on, he gets nominated for Excalibur, and goes on. He does the, uh, Labyrinth as well. So it's uh, this oh. weird tiny budget film, which had a song called Underground. <laughs> it's all tying together. Yeah. yeah. But you see everything. You see rats, you see mm. meat, you see a, a sprinkling of maggots. They've obviously not had that much money. For- no. You see a bloke dressed up like a dead body. You can see, see it's a bloke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You see his dying... Well, we don't know she's dying. His pregnant wife. Yes. I don't know she's a wife. They could be just partners. <laughs> I'm assuming they're just partners. There's no <laughs> ceremony. His life there. partner. Yeah, exactly. Unless they had a vicar and ate him. Um, one of the things that I, that is weird about this scene... And I, because I don't know at this point, but you definitely, I rewound this several times to make sure, but, but mm. I remember as a kid thinking that you could see James Manfred o- OBE blink, and you definitely can. You in, can. In the scene, he definitely I noticed blinked. that, yeah. So I don't know if he's, if that's a mistake, or if we're meant to think that he is in some way, you know, that he's catatonic but still alive. I assumed he's some sort of catatonic state. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because he seems with it slightly when, when later on he gets killed. Yeah, yeah. He seems that, to be aware of what's happening. Really, whether it's a mistake or not, it makes it fucking terrifying. It really does, yeah. And that's one of the things I remember from being a little kid is just like this guy lying there in this place full of death. Yeah. That's horrible. But, um, but you see everything. It's like an, it's like an eight-minute scene. Yeah. Um, and you see, and it, as it pans around, you see their relationship to where they are compared to the cave-in and, and the world outside. Yeah. So you basically establish that they are basically fraggles. They, they are fraggles, yeah. This would be a much better version of Fraggle Rock. <laughs> Imagine if he got a postcard from Travelling Uncle Matt, who's, <laughs> I ate someone in Germany today, <laughs> on the Unterbahn. I can't remember what the German underground's called. That makes... Unter, Unterbahn. Should I say it, Unterbahn? That's... Autobahn, that's a motorway. Yeah. yeah. No, can, we, can we do a new Fraggle Rock based on Deathline? Yeah, I think... This should... We'll have to, who can we get to be Fulton Mackay? Oh, um... <laughs> Let's keep that going. Hey, fucking Mackay. <laughs> fucking your eye. <laughs> Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, it's a brilliant, because like, yeah, I, I wasn't, re-watching it, I, it's more obvious that she's pregnant. I hadn't, I, I remember thinking, is she, and then you see, yeah. Uh, which again adds to the bleakness of it. It really uh, does. And she's obviously poorly. Yeah. She's eating someone who doesn't agree with her. And uh, uh, and it's, but again, it's that first thing. It's one of the things that makes it great is that there's that genuine tenderness between them. That it's that they are, there is pathos. And weirdly, given that the other characters are quite un- unsympathetic, mm. you find yourself in a perverse way hoping that they end up okay. It was maybe that last sausage she ate <laughs> made her real. <laughs> I mean, if she'd have eaten the blood of um, Manford, not <laughs> maybe he has all sorts of sexual diseases, and it could have made her. Maybe that's it. Accelerated he's, her death. He's got the syphilis or AIDS. Maybe he's got the early. Maybe he's the first man that fucked that chimp. <laughs> <laughs> he just and come he's back so, from Africa after yeah. fucking the first maybe, AIDS chimp. Maybe that's what he whispers to the prostitute on the platform. Oh, great. Want to come and see me fuck a, a chimp. monkey? <laughs> AIDS is not a laughing matter, by the way, Steve, just so you know. It's a retrovirus. That's right, not a laughing matter. means it was popular in the 80s. <laughs> is that one of yours? That's it. That's it from a, a thing. That's the only joke about AIDS I've ever written when I was about 19. It's very good. It's very good. So a round of applause for that one. But I, feel, I feel guilty. I'm leaking, <laughs> dipping into material I wrote as a bored university student. Well, you know, we're so, dipping into Deathline, which is from 1972. That is so. true. That is true. So, you know, it's, 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 all doors are open. Uh, but we then go back to Pat... Uh, well, well, um, we've already established that crazy person Hugh Hugh Armstrong. Thank yes. you. Is concerned for his partner. Yes, he's a good guy. He is. As, a, he's as a nice fella. Underground cannibals go. He's, he's one, one of the one best. Of the, yeah. yeah, he's a mensch. Salt of the earth. <laughs> yeah. And then we see him. So yeah, we see we briefly see Patricia again. Well, Patricia and Alex are having a row because Alex wouldn't go back for that man. She's become obsessed with that dead man. Yeah, yeah. And Alex is basically just like, hey, forget about him. <laughs> Let's get on with our lives. And it's quite a nice thing where, it's, again, that he's un- beyond the bad acting, he's an unsympathetic character. He's deliberately yeah. played as a bit of an arse. Yeah. Well, he's your average person in the street would yeah. be in this situation. They well, again, because the director, Gary Sherman, had, he basically left America after the riots at the Democratic Con- Congress in in Chicago. I think so where yeah. someone got shot? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, yeah. and so he's clearly very disgusted by a lot of his country, what's going on. And so I like the fact that, yeah, this snotty economic student is nominally into stuff, but you can tell he's... he. It's really well, it's really well written where you know that this is the sort of uh, character who is going to become a CEO in the 80s. Yes. He's a proto-yuppie. Yes, Yes, but they have a row, and she goes back to Russell Square. And then um, we cut back to the crazy man, Hugh, yes. Hugh Armstrong, Armstrong. And he grabs Manford, not <laughs> and uh, feeds him to the wife, and she yes. cuts his throat yes. with a piece of slate. It's pretty, it's pretty full on, that. It's pretty it's, full on. The sound effects are pretty horrible as well. And this is the first time that you properly get a look at the man. Yeah, uh, Hugh Armstrong. You've seen him, fle- him glimpsed before, but yeah. now we now get to see that he looks like Russell Brand with syphilis. Yes, he does. Which is to say, Russell Brand. Um, but it's amazing the different. I found myself sort of taking notes. He lo- he looks like Ricky Villa with smallpox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. Charles Charles Manson with AIDS. Yes, yeah, yeah. a yeah. cat weasel, Jesus of Nazareth, if you will. <laughs> 
I've also written Herpico. <laughs> Uh, and this is, and the other one I enjoyed was Bob Bob Crow Magnon. Try <laughs> <laughs> and try and get all the puns out in one. Uh, oh, what's the? Who's the guy who used to do the painting? Oh, Bob Ross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does look like Bob Bob Rots. Oh, it's even better. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then we see some sort of vampire bukkake because he covers her face in blood. He does. Yeah, yeah. it's um, he's obviously to make thought, her feel better. Yeah, have you ever tried that? I, it's it's never quite. It's always. I mean, I'm fairly vanilla. <laughs> Maybe I'm just too. And if your wife's poorly in bed and you think I know, I'll go yeah. and get her something, and she's thinking Lucas Aid or you know nightmares, yeah. and you come back with a, a catatonic top <laughs> yeah. and slit his throat all over her face. It would be an unusual, you know, a, a, a desiccated thro- desiccated, a ruined throat, a slit throat a day keeps the doctor away. It's the sort of thing Raoul Moat would do, <laughs> or Dennis Nilsson. Yeah, I can't say Sutcliffe because people keep saying that I talk about Peter Sutcliffe in this too much. Harry, I, I, when I used to have a thicker beard, I would regularly get called Peter Sutcliffe. Would you? Yeah. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? To oh, me? well, I, I didn't mind it. But, Did you uh, sometimes play on that by having a missing eye? Yeah, and I would uh, kill prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in plain sight and not get caught for <laughs> yeah, five yeah. years. Oh no, I've just <laughs> talked about Peter Sutcliffe again. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Donald Pleasance and Norman Rossington go to Manfred's house. And yes. basically start nicking stuff. Yeah, it's really nice. And again, it's the, the brilliance. I, it, this film, it's, I love this film, but yeah. when the, when him and Rossington are on screen together, yeah. it's brilliant. But it gets better in a minute. Yes. Uh, there's a bit where they, they, they break into his stuff and there's a re- way he kind of goes, suspicious bastard. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff under his breath that you kind of almost miss, these brilliant bits of dialogue. And asking how much the painting's worth. Yeah. How much is that worth? And because Rossington is, again... I hadn't realised how much he'd done. Mm. He's the Norman Rossi. He's the only person to be in a in a Beatles film and an Elvis Presley film. That's right. Um, yeah. So he's basically nicking stuff. He breaks into Manford's drawer, yeah. and starts removing all his paperwork and going through it. I think that's when he calls him a suspicious bastard. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he nicks his monkey nuts. Starts he nicks with, yeah monkey nuts. And uh, there's lots of that either sniffing or chewing. Yeah, he's a very tactile man. <laughs> and then. Um, he looks at the bookcase and says some of these books are fake yeah. and opens and there's a secret room. And it turns out Manfred's got a camera in one of his bedrooms and that's where he can go and watch it. Yeah. And that's when Christopher Lee enters the fray. And this is, again, this scene, it's just... Mwah, this mm. scene, it's really, really great. It's dynamite. And he's only in it for like two minutes. Yeah. Well, apparently Christopher Lee had said... They'd been, I think, chatting and he'd said that he would he would... Be, be in the film and do it for scale if he could be in a scene with Pleasance and he said as long as I don't have to wear teeth <laughs> so he's clearly fed up with the drag he probably, probably said it slightly more eloquently than that. as yeah. long as I don't have to wear any fucking teeth <laughs> but I was reading that they couldn't be in shot together as much because Christopher Lee's so much taller yeah, than yeah. so they had to do it in a one shot yeah so the only time they're in the scene is when he's sat down I think that's the only time yes. they're, in, they're in the same shot he was a giant man yeah, yeah. I don't mean like scary giant <laughs> he was tall and Donald yeah. Pleasance was fairly small. Yeah, yeah. Just so you... I mean, that's clear <laughs> what I was saying there. Um, but they have a lovely scene. Basically, Christopher Lee works for the MI5, and he says, Manfred's case is closed. Yeah. And there's, um, there's so many... And, uh, what's it? What a droll fellow you are. And he says, Why don't you go back to planting pot on people and mind you don't become a missing person yourself? Yeah. It's, it's delicious. It's great, Your dainty little footsteps are echoing in places where one is well advised to tread lightly. <laughs> really really great it's a really good scene and then there's a lovely bit actually where Pleasance just mouths fuck you yes uh, and then uh, 
Christopher Lee says, beyond even your well-known working-class virility. It's, it's really... it's Yeah, it's delicious. It's one of the things that make... In a film that's worth seeing, but it, even if the rest of the film was naff, this, those moments are just fucking electric. It's, yeah. That's the funny thing about this film, is it's, it's, it's a film made up of moments. Yeah, yeah. And it's, if, you, if you were to stretch it out over a table and look at all the scenes, you'd go... You, if you tried to explain it to somebody, they'd be like, "Well, there's not much there." Yeah, yeah. But as a complete thing, it's such a brilliant yeah, yeah. thing. And it's and it's interesting because like Pleasance is the star. It's probably we probably spend most time with him. I don't know if that's. I'd say so. And yeah. and he actually doesn't help solve the case at all. He does it's... nothing. In fact, when we get to the end, I want to ask you some questions about that. <laughs> um, but there, so Pat goes back to Alex. They've had their little row, and we then go back to Crazy Man Hugh Armstrong. His wife has now sadly passed away, and he's not taking it well, bless him. But he's back on the market, though, so... And it's actually, there's a weird cut, because we've seen um, we've seen Alex and Patricia. Patricia's gone back to Alex. Yeah. And then it cuts to the woman's face. Yeah. And it briefly looks like Alex has really gone to town on Patricia. He's just got a bit <laughs> too carried away. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, she's like, he's not taking it well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's a nice bit, he's crying, he's really upset. And then it, he nearly kisses her. And it's yeah. as if the actor, Hugh Armstrong, has gone, actually better not. Yeah, just in case. But I've, I've put here, he, he observes a small period of shouty mourning. Yes, but well, this is the first time we hear, again, my memory had been that we hear him being vocal yeah. earlier, but this is the first time. Uh, and so we don't hit. this isn't Mind the Doors. No. But it's a bit of... Like Blakey. So, yeah, yeah, well, it yeah. Is, it's Blakey at, with a bit of Mr Grimsdale. Yes. And, it, and it kind of varies between the two, but mm. it's it is moving and funny at the same time, <laughs> but also terrifying because it's accompanied by that sound of the dripping. Yes, that's everywhere in this place. Yeah, and it's really eerie because you just get this total sense that he is on his own down there. Yeah, yeah, and it's horrible. In weirdly, one of the roomiest flats in London. Yeah, he's got that would be worth a fortune. Now. <laughs> It really would. He had his own oil, <laughs> his own straw, yeah. and he had about 14 beds full of dead people. Yeah. He then decides to go out and get some food. Mm. And we get these underground workers. Yeah, he's he's mourning. He's in mourning. So yeah. what do you do when you're in mourning? Go and kill people. Yeah, you grab a spade. Yeah. And you go on a kill crazy rampage. And he, not only does he attack them, but he takes his moog with him. Because <laughs> the music kind of goes... And there's a nice bit of uh, filling in acting. One of the tube workers, they yeah. go, oh, "Wow, was it?" And he's like, "Going, oh, I got, I got, I had Amex for breakfast." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just, just be natural. Yeah. Just yeah. do what you do. I'm sorry, I'm not an underground worker. What do they do? They have ham and eggs for breakfast. Yeah. Okay, action. <laughs> All right, ham and eggs. Yeah, they get killed quite horribly. One gets a spade through his head. Yeah, but fortunately, he's still able with a spade in his head. He's able to turn the yeah. corner to show his friends. And go, oh, yeah, not in a camp way. <laughs> that would be awful. Uh, one of his friends attacks the homeless man with a broom. Yes, not the homeless man, Hugh Armstrong. He has a name. <laughs> And and this is where his injury comes from, which pl- comes to play later. Yeah, yeah. Basically, his uh, huge pustules on the side of his head get burst. Yeah, gets a whack on the ear. With a broom. And he picks up the broom and then stabs the man with it. Yes. Right through it. Right him. through. And it's, it's obviously meant to be viscera, but it yeah. looks like toilet roll. It does. Yeah. Lay, lay off them. It was 1972. They probably only had about a grand to make this. <laughs> they did it for 83,000, which is... 
uh, not very much money, I'd imagine. No. So then we, yeah, they all die. Um, one gets stabbed with a broom. The other one, does he get strangled? Uh, well, he sort of gets bashed on the head with a torch and That's then right. dragged off. So That's again, right. there's the implication that he might still be alive mm. and that he's going to suffer this. But he leaves the other two, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Because then we cut to the morgue and the mortician, who's very matter-of-a-fact. Yeah. It was a, a, the beginnings of a trope that they had in the 80s of morgue attendants being very like, oh, he's dead and I don't yeah, care. Yeah. You know, in the 80s, they all ate sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> that was a huge trope in the 80s. Every time you go to the morgue, someone would eat a messy sandwich and put it on the dead body and then go oh. back to eating <laughs> it again. So this guy was the beginning to that. Pleasance is very happy because it's now police business to be yes. down there. And again, there's nice touches where, where we see Calhoun get woken up yeah. and he's got a bottle of whiskey by the side of the bed. So it's, again, it's just that nice little where you, you get the flavour of what a mess. He's also got the, the lovely sort of 60s, 70s thing of having a, a, the toilet... Uh, Toilet flush light in the yeah, bedroom yeah. that you pull on, yeah. not pull off, <laughs> uh, when you're in bed. Um, so Alex is asked to come back and answer more questions. Now, I don't understand why Alex is asked to come back and answer more questions. Yeah, well, this is where, again, having to shift it around, we see these brief scenes, like there's a brief scene of Pat and Alex mm. that makes you envy the bloke who got the spade through the head. That, yeah. That it's, <laughs> yeah, it's they're trying they're trying to shift them around, and because and we, we go back, we see we see the man pottering again, and then we see Rogers go and get Alex. Yeah. And, it's, yeah, it's, and Alex goes to work at his bookshop. Yes. And Pat wants a book about poltergeists. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, late, and that's because later on we then, because Pat goes into the bookshop. And there's, a, again, just a small role. The, the colleague working at the bookshop just goes, everything okay with you and Alex? Yeah. And it's brilliant shorthand for, like, I want to have sex with you. Yeah. She'd be better off with the other man. Exactly. Yeah, much better off. Um, but basically they find out that the blood was found at the scene is like basically a new species of man yeah. and it's full of um, septic plague yeah yeah which apparently isn't contagious unless someone bites you yeah it's, um, so it's, nice it's amazing know. it's the, these lovely bits of very specific exposition and then we cut back to um, Hugh Armstrong he's very sad because he looks like Fagin's gone feral because <laughs> um, he's almost got the fingerless gloves thing going on it's like he he's going to start singing you better eat a pocket or two <laughs> he looks he, this is the point because yeah, the deterioration it's nicely done where th- by this point he looks like Dave Grohl with <laughs> Kurt Cobain's degree of co- decomposition <laughs> he looks like Dave Lee Travis now <laughs> um, yeah. yeah and we see him he places trinkets yeah. On the dead body. He does. It's basically like EastEnders. It's just surrounded by death and misery. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he, he tributes her. No, I don't mean in a <laughs> semen way. That would be awful. Um, and, and again, um, so this is another brilliant tracking shot where it's it's, it's disturbing. The the different, the, the dead bodies rotting in, in, to varying degrees. Yeah, because we see Manford again, don't we? Yeah, yeah. He's just still on the floor with his throat cut. And it's quite clear for this scene that that, the, that Hugh Armstrong's groans are done in ADR. Yes, that it's the one where, that, but whether they've decided it's too much or whether they've got where he's gone, yeah, yeah, yeah. they've gone a little bit less Norman wisdom. <laughs> he does say Mr. Grimm's there at one point, <laughs> and one of the bodies does shout out, "Shut up, Pipkin." <laughs> um, this is one of those films from that era, and the Bond films do it as well. They were so obsessed with shoe noise foley. Yeah, oh, it's so overdone. Yeah, yeah. Every time someone walks, it's really loud and echoey. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like they've got hooves. It does. It's- it does. And there's a Bond film, I think it's You Only Live Twice, where they do it as well. It's just so overdone. It's obviously the fashion at the time to yeah, make yeah. it sound like they've got metal feet. And um, it's particularly like, I, like 
moving through the tube silently is scary. Like, you know, mm. the tube, you get more startled if you've not heard someone behind you than if you hear what sounds like t- some coconuts. Tube horses from the day-to-day. Yes. Yeah, that's probably where they got the idea yeah. from. Um, but Alex and Pat, well, Pat, starts to wonder why there's nothing in the papers about Mansford's disappearance. Yes. And Alex is like, oh, it's probably nothing. He's um, basically variations on that line several times through the film. Thing. He is. He's in denial. Yeah. She, she, I forgot, she looks a lot like uh, Jane Fonda in Clute with her hair she cut does. as well. She does. She's quite attractive. She's very beautiful. It's one yeah. of those where it's a shame she didn't, I think she got married and stopped acting. Hmm. But, because I think she's in Women in Love as well. Um, <laughs> well, the actual one or the... Yeah, the actual, oh, yeah. it's yeah. a shame. And, uh, but yeah, she's, I th- you know, she's genuinely great. So marriage put breaks on her career. Yeah. Damn that patriarch. <laughs> That's all I can say. I'm ashamed to be part of it. So sorry, ladies. It's my fault. Um, hashtag not all men. Yeah, not all men. But hashtag definitely... <laughs> <laughs> I just stop laying into him. I don't know. Um, so yeah, the, the, this is this is. Uh, we talked about this earlier. That Donald Pleasant's finds out that the blood has got plague in it, and it's no problem unless you're bitten. Pat and Alex get off at Holborn, but Alex gets back on the trail. Oh, they've been to the theatre, haven't they? Yes, they've been to the Battersea Town Hall. That's right. Um, which again, I'd get a bus back from there if you go back to Russell Square. Would you? But there's no cannibals in the bus, are there? Yeah. So it's probably. I no mean, I'm point. being very picky. Yeah. Death bus. <laughs> Unless you suddenly see the uh, Hugh Armstrong suddenly got an oyster card. <laughs> it's already got an actual oyster. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, because the, when he's looking in the paper, he says, should we go and see the French Connection? Yeah. And she says it's too violent. Yeah. Do you think that's a little dig? I, I thought I thought it was a or nice a joke. joke. Yeah, I thought like, it was a nice joke. We're in this horrible, visceral, yeah, gross-out yeah. film and the French Connection's too violent. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's the stuff that really places it in its time where they're reading the the copy of the Daily Mirror and it's got the headline, I stayed at Michael X Murder House, which I know is referenced in um, uh, the Clement and Lafrene, the bank job. That's one of the plot points. The Michael X murder is part of that. I did not know that. that. plot. But again, it's it's such a specific, again, to American audiences. Yeah. I, but I love how British it is. Like yeah. It, so they go to the theatre, having re- rejected the French Connection, they go to the theatre and they leave having not enjoyed the play. Yeah, they didn't so like for, it. for him to criticise anyone else's acting mm. makes me angry. Yes, absolutely, because he does. And I'm speaking as someone who cannot act. You can act. Oh, I'm terrible. I saw you with um, Ursa from Superman 2. Oh, yeah. You were very convincing. We uh, we didn't know when we filmed that bit that um, the, the, the costumes we use were from Hyperdrive. They oh. were the shiny red robots of Vortis. Hmm. And we didn't know that until the show went out. And some of the people involved in Hyperdrive were justifiably a bit miffed. Yeah. But it was just the costume people had just found something that looked alienish. Yeah. But we'd inadvertently stolen costumes that had been used two years earlier and a show that Marek Larwood was in. Oh, of course he, he was. He was in an episode of it. So. Yeah. I should say, uh, in case you don't know, Steve was in We Are Clang. More people would not know. I bet they would. Fewer would care. Oh, you're doing yourself down. My I watched fa- it. Oh, bless your heart. Yeah. My favourite detail about the thing, because it's now nearly 10 years since we did it, is, it? Um, is that um, what happened between us, fil- this is not an excuse for why it was so bad. Right. Um, but uh, between filming the pilot and shooting the series, Russell Brand bullied Andrew Sachs on the radio. He did. So everything became very different. Uh, and at the time, they were obsessed with not getting any complaints at all. 
So mm. it wasn't even whether the complaints were valid. They just wanted the show to generate no complaints whatsoever. And as it was, it got eight complaints, seven of which were just, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not a complaint. Yeah. That's not a, was it upheld? Um, yeah, that was the worst thing. <laughs> we had to write back and go, yeah, fair point. In fact, you the first time we ever uh, contacted each other, uh, there was a particular line that you uh, go the Go Go Gadget. You arms wanted line. to open a pub called the Go Go Gadget Arms, yeah. which I think is a brilliant joke. And I was so glad that you said that because that joke, the battles I had to get that joke in the show, really were because with puns you've got to throw them away. Yeah, um, and so if they get overanalyzed, uh, it kills it, uh, and. Uh, for some reason it became with one of the producers that became one of the sticking points where he kept every time the note would be you need to get rid of this rubbish joke and I was like going we've done this live I know this gets a laugh yeah but because you're defending a silly throwaway pun you end up you're like you know it's not the best joke ever written it's just a nice little bit of texture and uh, apparently we, so we did it in the studio and it got a big laugh and apparently the producer in the gallery just went well I'll be uh. so the fact that you picked that one out well, there were two. There was that and there was the bear tragedy joke. Yes. Which I did not see coming. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a dick when I watch funny things. and I can often see where it's going. But I still enjoy it. But that one, I did not see that coming at all. That The joke is you said that we couldn't have another day, a public day because of the bear tragedy. Yeah. And a bear, you're doing a public... Like a, yeah, it's like a village fate type Village thing. fate. And a bear comes and the, everyone assumes the bear's going to attack somebody and it actually hangs itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really well... I was yeah. I, again, when I'd, I'm, it's long ago enough that every now and then someone mentions a bit, and I forgot what it was, and I'll I'll watch it again. And go, oh yeah, that was. It was so funny. I just yeah. love the way how long it takes. It gets up on a chair, and then kicks the chair away. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, so that's a shame that you got. Well, and it was interesting health. that for every pun, for every go go gadget arms. Hmm we lost loads of other battles so there's loads of other silly puns that just never made it and particularly now it's long ago we've forgotten some of them mm. but just little throwaway puns that uh, yeah, never saw the light of day see that's the man not this innocent <laughs> chap on the underground eating people yeah. he's not removing jokes from this is he absolutely unless I, he did I, I want him to be the new commissioner I do BBC <laughs> Unfortunately, every show will be called Mind the Doors yeah, yeah. with Bruce Forsyth. Yeah, please, hello and welcome to... <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> it would be better than The Voice, which is nearly that. Um, so, yeah, so, um, Pat and Alex go to the theatre, they didn't enjoy it, and they get off at Holborn because she's scared about going to Russell Square. Yes. Understandably so. And they get off at Holborn and they're going to walk from there, but she leaves those bloody books on yeah. the train. So Alex, being the gentleman he is, runs back in the train to get them. And a driver's watching out of the window, saying, <laughs> I'm going to close the doors now. Closes the doors, and a woman runs up to the doors to say, oh, Alex, I'll see you at home. And he just drives off. You'd think, I'll open the door and yeah. let him out. But no. What a cunt. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it is, it's one of those bits of like, oh, who could have seen that they would get separated? See, that is an American noticing the British obsession with rules yeah. i'm sorry the doors are closed yeah they do jobs worth speak really well in this film they do there's a lot of jobs worth yeah. particularly the landlord yeah. cunt. Um, <laughs> so she gets uh, taken by uh, the man and he, Hugh Armstrong. and that's one of the few jump scares but very well done it's very well done i'd forgotten about it and i watched it the other night and i did jump yeah i'm a 40 year old man <laughs> and i don't scare easy you just see his his scrofulous hand Actually, no, I kept thinking how bad he smells. 
Well, that that's the fact that it's one of the things, one of the bits of disbelief you have to suspend is the fact that there's that many dead bodies in his lair mm. and he, that he doesn't go, Christ, can someone open a window? Yeah. Well, he can't. He lives in a windowless void. Yeah. <laughs> He he's the, he's got a cursed life because he can never do a fart and go that smells really bad because he he lives in a world of just smell. <laughs> He'll never know if he's done a bad or a good one. Yeah, and Not, it, but he can't even go pass me a lighter. He's just got to go. Oh, mind the doors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which works. It does actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, Pat's been taken. Alex gets home, and this is what I didn't understand. He he's got to the next station than her. Gets home and expects her to be in. Yeah, yeah. You'd think you'd give it 10 minutes because she's got to walk further away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no. And so then he starts freaking out and he runs around London looking for her. But meanwhile, Donald Pleasance and Norman Rossington have gone to the pub. And it's a, another brilliant scene. Brilliant. It's such good fun, this mm. scene. This has to be improvised. Well, this, no is, you this, can well, this is one where this is one of the definite ones where the, the earlier interviews with Gary Sherman, he seems to acknowledge that it was improvised. You can't write that. The, the, particularly the pinball bit because they're just babbling yeah and, and the changes in mood yeah it's where one minute he's, he's being nice and then it's when he's like shouting going, you know, defending the queen very aggressively yeah basically calling the landlord a job's worth <laughs> yeah. for daring to close the pub at closing time but he does stick a, a sausage in Norman Rossington's mouth yeah which is one for the ladies <laughs> but it's just it's a it's, it's one of those things where you just because I don't like Halloween particularly the, mm. uh, the film it's, it's, oh the film not the event yeah yeah, yeah. And uh, and I rewatched it recently, and I'd forgotten he seems to sort of sleepwalk his way through Halloween. Yeah, it's not the greatest Donald Pleasance performance. Mm. I mean, he's good, but this is much better. Yeah, he's just he, he look he's just having a laugh. He looks he's like engaged. He's, yeah, it's such good fun to watch him. Not as good as he is in Halloween Five. <laughs> Whatever ever one he was the last one. I think he was in Six. Oh, yeah, he's poor Donald. <laughs> but he lived. He moved to America, didn't he, and just started doing everything. Yeah, well, this is what because he's in Waking Fright as well, and, yeah. and and Waking Fright's a little bit earlier than this, but he's brilliant in Waking Fright as well. And again, it with like a really sinister, creepy character. Hmm. But he's um, yeah, I guess that gets to a point where he's like, oh, genre work all the way. Yeah, why not? It pays. So yeah, Alex goes looking for her. He upsets a policeman who catches him shouting at Holborn Tube Station, <laughs> which we are above right now. We are indeed. Yes. Yeah. So that's, you know, it looked nothing like it does now, by the way. Yeah, it's... Cause I, I, think I don't it's, mean because it's daylight. <laughs> I think it, my, my wife's always said there's something like quintessentially like a lot of blokes who are sort of slightly nerdy about comedy and film are also a little bit nerdy about disused underground stations. Yeah, I can understand And, and it that. fits in, like, I always... I used to... We were briefly living on the High Barnet branch of the Northern Line, hmm. and I, every time we would go past South Kentish Town... Uh, which is between Kentish Town and, and Camden, and you can see the platform. Hmm. And she got to a point where she was having to say to me, you've got to stop pointing it out to me every time we go past. Like, it's just a fucking platform. Hmm. What's the significance of that one? I might have missed that. <clears throat> it's a disused uh, station, uh, but the enamel, the, the original building still survives, hmm. and it's a cash converters. Right. So it's got the beautiful Victorian enamel, but it's a cash converters. But they still use it for storage. Ah. Oh. And... The fact that I'm talking about this shows what a peculiar human being I am. You are, but there's in it, a good way. There's sort of those interesting. There is, but it fits in with that nightmarish thing, like hidden underground stations. There was one called Waterloo Necropolis, uh -huh. where, which was used, literally used to ferry the dead out to Surrey, 
Um, so it was it was owned by a burial company, and so Jesus if you, if you died in central London, you could arrange for your resting place to be out in in the greenery of the suburbs. And so they so it was called Waterloo Necropolis. That's great. It's a brilliantly sinister. I think it got destroyed in the war. The actual the tunnels and the station. They should bring it back. They're bringing everything back. Yeah, you can make it a pret. And again, it more preferable than Southern Rail. Yeah. Well, yeah. Less stiffs, right? <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, Alex goes to see Donald Pleasance, who is hungover from the night before. He is. Uh, I love that scene because he's basically telling him not to shout because yeah. he's got a hangover. He, he, again, he plays drunk really well and he plays hungover really, really well. Yeah. Yeah, he basically tells, that tells Alex he can't do anything for him because yeah. go away. And there's a great thing where there's a police officer with a beard and mm. he just goes, beard. <laughs> But unless I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure he leaves Donald Pleasance just saying, I'm going to go and find Pat. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. say anything to him where, where he's going. Yeah. There's, right? Yeah, there's no kind of... It, 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 again, moving the pieces around. Yeah. and and fit and fit Because we've briefly seen Pat... We've seen her wake up in the lair. Yeah. Um, and there's a good bit of sinister bassoon playing in the... Yeah. Room. And um, Hugh Armstrong looks through the hole in the door. Or is that later? But yeah, yeah, she looks through, she, she whacks him in the ear. That's right. And that's where we, we, we know that that's his weak spot. Mm. Yeah, and then Alex goes to the station, uh, Russell Square, and starts looking round the end, down the end of the platform, and a kindly old man yeah. comes along to him who works for the station and basically says, you, you can't look down there. And then he shouts at him, yeah, what's yeah. down there? I just thought he was a hassle an old man. It's not very nice. Yeah, and the old man is kind of concerned for his well-being yeah. and... Uh, and uh, yeah, this grumpy, this spoilt economic student. From America as well. Remember, yeah. we we helped them during the war. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Pat, as you say, Pat wakes up, sees some rats, and Hugh Armstrong thinks, I know what I'll do to calm her down. Yeah, yeah. I'll grab a rat and bite its head yeah. off. The old charmer. He's yeah. clearly thought like, this is this always, this slays the bitches every time. <laughs> Does it work, though? It's, uh, no, well, she's, I mean, surprise, mystifyingly. Yeah. She's a. Uh, imagine what his knob looks like. <laughs> Seriously, just imagine. Oh dear God, looks like. <laughs> both of them. The fact that we've made this such a joke, this is now impossible to remove from the edit. I know comedians can't. I admire and like. You do like, though. <laughs> yeah, he's a, lov- he's a lovely bloke. Yeah. He's a genuinely lovely bloke. But we can't ever tell him about this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, this is and this is where we we that as well as biting the head off the rat, this is where he first tries. Mind George. That's right. Uh, he's clearly, but he's clearly thought, well, damn it, I'm struggling here. The uh, the old bite in the rat's head off hasn't worked. I need to st- take things up a notch. The next one is showing her his knob, which looks <laughs> like a sausage of chorizo. <laughs> but I like the fact that he, he's obviously, it, it's very well done that he's heard mind the doors echoing yes, through the, through the tunnels. So these days, if we remake it, it's got to be him going, see it, say it, sorted. <laughs> Big issue. <laughs> uh, this reminds me, there was a Goons show where they were, it was set in the future and they were archaeologists and they found the lost tribe of the Minodors. Ah. And at the end it turned out that when they got rid of all the crap off of it, it said mine the doors. So I wonder, I wonder uh, right, well, this yeah, yeah. goons would have come first, of course. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. But he, he then sticks, he repeatedly says mine the doors. He does. Like a British person abroad trying to order at a <laughs> Spanish restaurant. <laughs> if I just shout it louder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but he's, he loses his temper does because he's clearly thought well i've bitten their head off her rat for this fucking nasty little bitch and yeah. she's uh 
ungrateful. Yeah. It'd be better if he'd made like a cup of tea and just poured it out of Manfred's nose. <laughs> His severed head. Uh, but she's not up for it, basically. She's not DTF. <laughs> he hasn't even got Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So they can't chill. So he tries to calm her, and, um, and then Alex walks down the abandoned station, so he obviously got past that old man. Yeah. Well, this is actually one of the problems I've seen in this film. Hmm. Is it becomes it's impossible for at least a week after watching the film to not go mind the doors. Yeah. On it, and but I've said that to my wife in intimate moments. I and have. She, well, she she no, and she, she knows that she's married a, to a loser. Yeah. But she's but it's where I she saw me watching it for the rewatching it for this and she was like oh god you're going to do it again aren't you when you're literally inside me you're going to shout oh mind. come on. <laughs> so yeah he walks down the abandoned station and finds manfred's abandoned hat yes and so we know he's down there yeah be great if he did get down there and um uh hugh armstrong had made it like home alone where he'd got everybody tied up and was dancing to music and it looked like they were having a lovely party and he just thought oh well they're having a nice time i'll leave <laughs> But it is like they have to give those clues, otherwise it's Alex Liff going, who would live in a house like this? <laughs> think about it. The, the decomposing faces. Yeah. Freddie Starr, what do you think? <laughs> and because and, Pat has run off at this point. Yes. She's, she's escaped. Yeah, and she hits his head again. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, she's hiding. You get this great scene where she's hiding in the dark. Alex is sort of scrambling through some rocks. And Hugh Armstrong's wandering around with an oil lamp. Yeah. Just saying, mind the doors, yeah. mind the doors, and that's all he's saying, and it's incredible acting. Yeah, it's because it's, he's he's saying so much more than those three words. Yeah. It's he's brilliant. It's a good. It's a really good thing that this did not go to Brando. Yeah, he'd been and terrible. The only other thing I know that Hugh Armstrong ever did was apparently he was in a production of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in Liverpool with Bill Nye and Julie Walters. Wow. So, so and he played McMurphy. Wow. So. Uh, He's got chops. Mm. Uh, and apparently there's another thing where I think they'd him and Gary Sherman had talked about this role while watching the gorillas at London Zoo. Right. So I like the fact that he's kind of thought, let's we're playing a primitive character, let's look at primates. Yeah. Because it is it's so he's brilliant. It's other than the fact that, that when every time he gets hit in the eye, mm. hit, hit, hit in the ear, it mm. is quite like uh, again, but but yeah. with a little bit of kind of Fred Flintstone added in. Well you do end up feeling sorry for him. Yeah, and he I, is literally murdering people. Yeah, and you do end up feeling sorry. For yeah, him. he's the most sympathetic character in this film. Without and he's a literally doubt. covered in drool. But yeah, Alex, he 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 tries to be tender once again with Pat, and it doesn't gives work. Her, gives her his best come to rat infested bed eyes. That's it. Yeah, uh, she doesn't go for it, and then he basically thinks, "Well, I'm just going to have sex with her." Yeah, yeah. In the middle of why not? And it is it's the obligatory brief flash of tit. Yeah. It's this, it Sadly, would, it's his. <laughs> but it's exactly the sort of thing that would have 15-year-old kids pausing, tracking yeah. through very slowly, Again, like, John, like, like a 13-year-old me did with black eyes. I was going to say black eyes. The uh, Dennis Potter. Oh, my God, yeah. I was going to say that John Landis did this better because he had nude scenes and showers <laughs> when he revisited London. Yes. Which I re revisited many times as a, a, a Well, that's a defining scene for many a... Many a young lad. I bet you, if you went back in time to everybody's house and got their VHS copy and you held it up, there'd be a big sort of barrier of nothingness. Yeah, yeah. Where they've watched that scene yeah. over and over again. You go, oh, there appears to be a copy of Walkabout just next to it as well. <laughs> um, so Alex then finds um, Hugh Armstrong attacking his pat, which sounds awful, <laughs> and um, decides to stamp on his head. 
He really he gets stuck in, doesn't he? Oh, horrible. Using moves the American cops did in Chicago. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, all sorts of gunk starts pouring out of poor Hugh's head. Yeah. Poor man. And then he starts saying, mind the doors, then crawls He's off. Hugh Defner now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> can only apologise. And then the bit that I don't understand, at that moment, Donald Pleasance and loads of police turn up. Yeah. How? It's suspension of disbelief stretched... Yeah, as far as it can go, that he ju- they just arrive completely ineffectually. Yeah, they just turn up. And because because Patricia has stopped him killing, he's about to kill him. Yeah, and it, and it's Patricia who says, you know, leave off. Yeah, and then um, Pleasance and his men and Clive Swift's back to give a little bit more exposition, just to remind ourselves. Yeah, he gives more exposition, and then they walk down and they see um, Hugh Armstrong, and they say he's dead. Yeah. And they see his uh, murder house, and he says, "We'll have to get the more police down here." Yeah. And then he walks off, and there's this wonderful shot. Well, he, he tells two policemen to stay with Pat and Alex, and there's this long corridor, essentially, archway, from where uh, Hugh Armstrong lives to where they are. And Donald Pleasance and um, his men are walking back very slowly to the point where you start thinking. Oh no! There's going to be more of them, isn't there? That's going to be the twist that loads more underground people yeah, jump yeah. out. But they don't. They don't. And then you, you just hear one final "Mind the doors." Yeah, yeah. And then it ends. Yeah, but it doesn't imply. Like I wasn't sure if that was meant to imply there's more of them, but it doesn't because it's Hugh Armstrong's voice again. Yeah, it's almost like it's like they've gone. Give us your catchphrase one last time. Yeah, you're never going to say it again. That's it. Yeah, um, but and, and they all so it's it's lived on. It's mm. like Gary Shemmons when it, cause he does what is he Poltergeist three? Yes, um, and the, he does a, he writes a film called The Mysterious Island of Beautiful Women. Oh, I think we've all written that film. Yeah, it's it's the IMDb says the plot is some men land in a plane on an uncharted <laughs> island. They discover it's inhabited by women. Oh, lovely. That's basically the film. They might want to think about changing the title. It gives the plot away. <laughs> yeah. um, Poltergeist 3 is a terrible film. Yeah, I've not seen that. I have. And, and that is the one where they had to do reshoots, but they had to use a body, body double because the girl died. Mm. Yeah, that's... And uh, he didn't want to do reshoots. I didn't realise they were the same people. That's terrible. I mean, the, the first one's amazing. The second one's pretty shit, but not bad yeah, at yeah. the same time. The third one's dreadful. <laughs> Don't watch Podcast 3, everyone. <laughs> We've reached the point of the podcast where I ask you the quick-fire questions. Ah, yes. Steve Hall, are you ready? I think so. Who is the best Bond and what is the best Bond film? Um, I think Sean Connery's the best Bond because, as a father of two children, you always love your firstborn the most. Uh, it's And anyone who says otherwise is lying. So it's just it's the original and best. And the best Bond film, I can't decide. I'm stuck between two. Um I it was you only live twice because as a kid that was the one that blew my mind that see particularly seeing screenplay by Raul Dahl like yeah. as an 8 year old where you see that you're like your brain is like how is the world possible of such wonders like it's so amazing yeah. and then I rewatched it quite recently and it's not as good as I remembered it being and the one that had always stuck with me and still scares me is live and let die um just the fact that I can never remember his name Baron Baron Samady um, the fact that he comes back at the end, he's on the back of the plane, back on the train. Mm. That really scared me. Yeah. So, and it's kind of, it's a little bit silly, but that's, yeah, I think that's my, I would say that's the best, I think. Good stuff. So the other way around, what's the wor- who's the worst Bond and what's the worst Bond film? Uh, the worst Bond film is Quantum of Solace um, 
because it made me angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just it's fucking wank. Like it's <laughs> it's um it's, put it on the poster. It, yeah, it's so boring, and it's it just they bottle it. Like, why they're trying to rip off the Bourne films? It's uh it's a very dull punchable film. Now I've not seen Spectre. Um, so, so I'm. People have told me that Spectre is a worse film. Yeah, don't watch it. Um, but there's a thing, and, and this fits in. I was because I, li- I try and listen to this podcast uh, if, if my children ever get to sleep. Mm-hmm. And thank you. <laughs> that um, lots of people say Lazenby is the go-to answer. More, and I understand why Lazenby is the go-to answer because it probably is. Yeah. It probably is the worst. But I don't. Mind, I've only seen that film once a long time ago, and it doesn't impinge on my life. So, so my honest, the tr- if I'm being honest with myself, the bond, the worst bond I find is Pierce Brosnan because he it's smug bollocks for management consultants. It's it's so pleased with itself. I rewatched Goldeneye quite recently, and that's a good film despite him. Like the things that are in it that are good are the action scenes and Judy Dench is great and Robbie Coltrane's fun. Uh, and Alan Cummings from, but but he he just looks like he should be playing badminton, <laughs> Pierce Brosnan, and it, and it fits in with the thing that in terms of recent Bond films, uh, and it's almost from Goldeneye onwards, they have this thing where it's like this is they're trying to go this is culturally significant, you must watch this, and it reminds me of the way the BBC try and promote the FA Cup. That yeah. they're trying to do it as this thing of like this is important. You must be. It's, it reminds me of when Oasis released "Be Here Now." Oh yeah, it was that sense of like this is history. Yeah. And so with it, all of those films, they really give it the big build up. And so with Skyfall, that was one where it, the hype around Skyfall, and then it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, but all of that is epitomised because while the new films aren't so good, Daniel Craig is a, is an excellent Bond. Yeah. Um, but with those Pierce Brosnan ones, they and they just. If they're on late at night, they just—they all seem to blur into one. The other ones, apart from Goldeneye, the later ones, and I, if, if it's on, you just think, "Oh, fuck off!" Like, <laughs> all these jokes, these aren't good enough jokes, and they're not delivered with a twinkle like Roger Moore would do it. They're sort of delivered as if it's good writing. Yeah. So, yeah, Pierce Brosnan. Wonderful. Okay, and who would you have as James Bond next? Um, Fantasy World, Sterling Hayden. Uh, if he could do an English accent, yeah, or a young Peter Richardson, I think Ooh. a young Peter Richardson would be amazing no, as Bond. Yeah, um, and again, both of them because he's meant to. I think in the books he's meant to look a bit like Hoagie Carmichael, mm-hmm. and I think both of them look a bit like. But of the young actors, I really like that Jack Loudon. I don't know if it's Loudon or Loden. He's the fighter pilot in Dunkirk. Oh yeah, and and he's Morrissey in England. England made me the yeah, but you kept made me yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's, he's like 25 to 1 but I think he's he fits it for me he looks great he's a That's really a good, good actor show. and he's kind of because obviously if, if Craig signed up for another two one or is it another one right yeah. um, that it's going to be a few years so some of the people who were talked about will be too old. Yes. Whereas I think Jack Loudon will just be moving into... Yeah, that's my thing with Idris Elba, because he's the same, pretty much the same age as Daniel Craig now. So when they eventually get around to doing one with him, you'll be like in his early yeah, 50s. Yeah. So what's the point? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's the same reason Joe, Bright, Joe Biden shouldn't stand for president. It'll be like 97. Well, exactly. Um, so James Bond is full of stupid names like Money, Penny, Small Bone and Goodhead. Give me your best Bond lady name that you've just made up. Uh, Ivanka Dogoff. 
has that been done before? Is that not good? Funnily enough, no. Uh, He's always trying to find one for the end with it. It's it's female names that end with A, so you could have like Rosalita Cockle Day or Heidi Sausage. Um, but the one that my wife, I, I was having this chat with my wife. Like, so I like I, Ivanka Dogoff would be like the the stern Russian, hard nosed. She's she's been around the blocks, and her young virginal assistant would be Naina Cherry. And that's the thing that I think if someone told if you didn't know that Naina Cherry was a singer, and if no. someone said, "Is this the name of either a singer or a Bond character, Naina Cherry?" I think more people would say that's the perfect Bond. <laughs> Girl name. Ivanka Dogoff. Okay, good. Um, so give me the best Bond film title that you've just made up. Uh, have you been missold PPK? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Legally Bond? <coughs> or uh, the one that, in, in tribute to this podcast as well, I, I think they should call a Bond film Smirsh Mouth. And then, ha- and then have the theme tune done by Adele, but it be the Smash Mouth. So, hey, now. Was that all star? Right? Yeah, yeah, you're an all star. Yeah. Get no, your game on. Yeah, it's good. Have, in this podcast, has anyone ever done the story? There's a, there's a story on the comedy circuit. Uh, has anyone told this story? I don't know. I, it's sort of circuit mythology, and I, I wish I knew who reported this to the circuit. I feel like I'm doing whoever it is a disservice mm. by not knowing who it is. But there was, there was a comic on the circuit who was famed for being a bullshitter. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was one of those things where everyone knew he lied. And so people looked forward to seeing what nonsense he'd come out with. Yeah. Uh, and so he would say things like, um, uh, I can't tell you which famous pop star I've slept with, but let's just say I can't get her out of my head. So things like that. Mm-hmm. And then he said that he was, was a musician. <laughs> he said that he was, oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Uh, that took my brain a while to catch up with my ELO <laughs> knowledge there. But he, he then said, um, that he was, uh, he said, "Oh, yeah, I'm a musician. I'm actually, I'm actually doing the, uh, doing the Bond, the new Bond film, doing the music for the new Bond film." And whoever it was, uh, is a big Bond fan, and was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing! What's it called?" And he was like, "Well, what do you mean? They haven't, they haven't chosen a name." And he was like, "My mate was like, my mate, whoever it was, yeah, said um, so. Well, no, but they always, you know, because the the song title is based on the name of the film, yeah. And so he kind of pauses and goes, uh, uh, Murphy's Law." <laughs> Oh, you're in the, so, the 1980s James Woods film. Yeah. Wow. So James Bond will return in Murphy's Law. Jesus Christ. But it's, the, it's sort of achieved. I, and the, the bloke who did it is no longer on the circuit. Oh. But it's this, but we'd all, I would, if they called a Bond film, that was the thing that everyone was like laughing about it, but was sort of going, if they called the new Bond film Murphy's Law, what would people do? Yeah. He'd be proved right. He'd be on top of the pops. You wouldn't. Because <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, so... A hypothetical fistfight takes place between Simon Templer the Saint and James Bond 007. Who wins? Um, well, I know very little about the Saint. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not... I don't know the Saint well. For what is Chatteris? For what is Charteris? Yeah. Um, uh, so I would say... Well, so, so imagining a fight between... Because I don't know the character of the Saint at all. I like to imagine it's a fight between Bond and Ian St. John. Uh, from oh, Saint, Rosie, from Saint from Saint Greasy. Yeah. Um, and so I would say the saint. Mm, I was going to say. He's a, a tough Glaswegian and he's got Greavesy on hand to help out. Yeah. Oh, that could get messy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if Greavesy's had a few. <laughs> um, so we wish, wish he almost certainly would have done. <laughs> Finally, you're stranded on a desert island with Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? Um, so I think Connery would have to be the leader 
more in a sort of Nelson Mandela figure. That he's just old enough. <laughs> Welcome he, to he, the he, yeah, he yeah. represents the struggle, and and Connery like. Mandela wouldn't actually have to do any of the heavy lifting. He can just bask in peace prizes and pussy, right. uh, and they can have fun with that. Mm. Uh, but then the rest of them would do the heavy lifting. And I think in terms of who we'd, who we'd eat, um, Lazenby, because Australian food's great. They mm-hmm. do cuisine very well, so I imagine a bit of Australian meat yeah. would be pretty tasty. Not the sausages, though. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to end up like Mrs. Crazy Man. Yeah, that's yeah. Which who would be? Yeah, I'm, it's sort of slightly tainted by raw meat now. It is, isn't it? Would you cook them or would you just slit, slit their throat and drink their their blood? Awful. But Steve, Hall, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you can come back again one day for more fun. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.